Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashkin Kazarian. On today's show, we're going to talk about Florida and what it's doing in the sharing economy space. Joining me, I have Spence Purnell, policy analyst at the Reason Foundation. Spence, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So what is going on? You guys right now have an active bill that's going to cover car sharing. And before we go into that, for our listeners who might be confused, do you mind telling them the difference between car sharing and ride sharing? Because even I was confused before you explained it to me. Sure. So ride sharing generally refers to um, leasing or, or borrowing a car for 24 hours or less. So you can think of Uber or Lyft uh, or even Zipcar. Uh, you know, anything less than 24 hours is generally considered ride sharing. Um, more than 24 hours is considered a rental car. Uh, and that is uh, really kind of at the crux of this issue is what what defines a rental car and uh, what what uh, what might that subject to taxation and regulation wise. Is this a definition that only exists in Florida or would you say based on your expertise that other states have the same like definition between and the difference between car sharing and ride sharing? Other states have this distinction as well. Okay, perfect. So moving on, what is the bill, the active bill about? And um, I heard that there's a possibility similar bills might pop up in other states. Correct. Yeah. So this is mostly in response to the rise of a company called Turo, uh, which is a car sharing company uh, in the true sense of the word. It's uh, similar to Airbnb in that the uh, private individual owns the asset and the uh, platform Turo is there to just facilitate the digital exchange of information. They don't actually own any of the cars or any of the assets. Um, and so because of the rise of this company, uh, rental car companies, traditional rental car companies, uh, uh, are upset that this, this uh, ride, uh, you know, this, uh, this new car sharing platform uh, is not subject to the rental car tax. And so uh, they've been calling for states to extend the rental car tax to uh, car sharing companies. Uh, the bill in Florida uh, denies that and, and, and says that Turo will not be subject to the rental car tax. And other possible companies, right? Or does it name the company? Correct. No, it defines car sharing okay. and, and says that any car sharing company uh, will have its own set of regulations, which in the Florida bill uh, is essentially a liability requirement. Um, so similar to what Uber has been subject to in a lot of states, which is essentially about a million dollar uh, liability insurance policy. So let's um, take this step by step. Uh, first of all, I didn't know there was such a thing as you can a service where you can rent your car to strangers. Uh, as many of our listeners know, I don't know how to drive. I'm not planning on learning. Um, never, never. Um, but as uh, someone who I'm guessing is from Florida and would have to drive there to just like not be separated from the civilization, um, would you say it is a popular service? Have you seen how much it's being used? What are the like just the logistics of it? Would you be grossed out like to rent your car so others would be in it? I don't know. Like I support Airbnb and I've stayed in Airbnbs, but I would never Airbnb my apartment just because I don't want people touching my things. Right. And I feel like not to gender things, but men love their cars. Uh, so is like, what is the popularity of a service so people understand how much is affecting the economy and how is it changing the society? Right. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know exact usage numbers or revenue numbers or anything like that for any of the car sharing companies. Because you don't work for them, which is like the good disclaimer. Right, right, right. Good disclaimer. Not, not paid by Turo. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I think it's, it's definitely gaining prominence. And Zipcar, I think, uh, was another company that kind of 
brought this idea into the public domain that hey you're gonna you know rent this car for you know less less than a week but more than a day or a couple hours you know that that it's just a new a new space that people typically were not uh not sure how to regulate or tax but i would say yeah it's 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 definitely increasing in usage and primarily for the same reason as airbnb i think people realize they own a depreciating asset and they can offset some of those costs by um, you know renting the asset out for a specific period of time that they don't need it uh, and at a price that they deem is reasonable. So if you and your very nice car and you aren't, didn't want anybody to get in it, uh, I think that it's a good display of the price system. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's there's a price on that. You know, even if you had a nice car, I've seen some. I've gone on there myself, and some cars rent for a thousand dollars a day. Oh, it's like when nice convertibles would drive down right, the Florida right, shores. Right, right, right. So, you know, hey, I mean, if you want that service that's there and if it's worth $1,000 a day to you, then then you would do it. I do um, apologize. There's going to be a lot of Florida hate in this episode. <laughs> I do love the people of Florida, but just like all out of it together. Just <clears throat> um, Okay, uh, interesting. So now uh, let's break down the taxes that you mentioned. Uh, what is the difference between a rental car tax and any other car taxes. Right, so rental car taxes are specifically for, um, as I mentioned earlier, for rental cars that are more than 24 hours. So if it's less than 24 hours, it's subject to a different uh, different tax and regulation scheme. But um, yeah, um, so, so there's sales tax usually that is applied, and then there's the rental car tax that's applied, and then if the car is rented from an airport, there's typically an airport rental car tax that is applied. So you can have up to three taxes applied on one transaction at the state level. Oh, wow, okay, interesting. And how much uh, annually would you say approximately is uh, collected in rental car taxes? Sure, so in Florida, it's $175 million annually from all of the different rental car companies. And all of that money goes towards? Uh, it's, it's different in every state, uh, but in Florida, um, a Florida, a lot of that money is diverted uh, to, to other purposes other than what would be considered a user pay, user fee, uh, like the gas tax, which would go to fund roads. Um, especially in a lot of other states, uh, the, the, the rental car tax is used to fund other what's typically called tourist development projects. Um, so sports stadiums, uh, theme parks, or uh, I think in Atlanta, they funded a jazz festival with the rental car tax. Hey, I wouldn't be against this money going to the Harry Potter world or something, but that's just me. Harry Potter world funded by rental cars. <laughs> uh, hey, I am not against it when it's for a good cause. Um, Okay, so what is a gas tax then? Right, so the gas tax is designed to be a uh, user pay, user fee tax to fund uh, infrastructure construction and repair. To actually fix the roads. Fix the damn roads, as they say in Michigan, fix the damn roads, (laughs) as the governor likes to say. Um, But yeah, so the idea there being the more you drive on the road, the more gas you buy, the more the state collects in revenue, and it's all proportionate to how much you're using the road. Um, Reason Foundation is a part of uh, several alliances that are advocating a switch from the gas tax to a user-based mileage fee, which is uh, similar, but it would essentially 
track however many miles the rental car drove while it was in, in, in the state that it was in. And then the tax would be calculated based on the mileage driven instead of the gas purchased. But, uh, yeah, we think either. That makes sense. Yeah. Right. Right. So gas tax is still the thing. No one's no one's doing a user based mileage fee. Um, but yeah, we think that it's fair that the car sharing and rental car companies are both subject to the gas tax because it's at least a non-diversionary tax, meaning the money that's collected from the gas tax is used for infrastructure. It's, it goes directly back to the reason that the tax was collected. Whereas with the rental car tax, uh, the argument is that they need to collect it to fund infrastructure, but then it's diverted to other purposes such as tourist development. Which one can say is infrastructure? If you're building a stadium, a sport, I'm just I'm just playing stadium. devil's advocate yeah. here. I hate they when people do cause that. more traffic than less traffic, so you're just so making you traffic Florida people worse. Don't want tourists anymore. Are you on the behalf of the state of Florida announcing that you want everyone to stay away from your humid weather? <laughs> no, no, we love it, and uh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think you know, I think the literature is is up and down on um, you know trying to you know, basically what Florida tries to do, which is tax, you know, pay for the government with tax on tourists. So as, you know, as little as possible, there's no income tax in Florida, right? So Florida's banking on its sales tax and things like the rental car tax, you know, goods and services that people from out of state will come in and pay and fund the government so that Florida citizens don't have to pay as much. Um, you so know. they think they're separate from everyone else and they would just want to cash in. Interesting. Yeah, but I mean, there's some good studies and some economic literature, which I think somewhat convincingly suggests that, you know, all those taxes are, are costs imposed to visitors. So, um, you know, you're not sure how many tourists you deterred, you know, with a higher tax. So, you know, there's an argument that you could generate more revenue with lower taxes. Type of a I'm going to boycott Florida. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> Something like that, you know. Um, okay. So moving on, can you tell us uh, a little bit more? So we kind of started with a bill. And do you guys, the Reason Foundation, do you have a position on the bill? Do you support it? Do you not support it? We don't take positions on legislation. Um, so, you know, we don't, we don't, we're not going to go up or down on the bill, which is sure to be amended and changed a couple more times. Um, you know, our, 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 goal is to talk policy. And so, so um, do you support some of the ideas in the bill? Correct. Uh, yes, we support the idea of a separate tax and regulatory scheme for car sharing companies. And so talking about defining, uh, you know, there's there's a difference between car sharing and a, and a rental car company. The main difference being the rental car company purchases and owns the cars as assets under the business, which means that from an accounting perspective, the taxes on those purchases are written off. So effectively, rental car companies aren't paying sales tax when they purchase their vehicles, which are some of their main assets. Um, so that's how you think the balance should be. My question would be, with uh, car sharing, right? Let's say an individual owns, I mean, there are people who own a couple of cars. Sure. What if people start doing this for a business? Let's say they have 10 cars, they have 15 cars. Would that make them a rental car company and they would go into a different bracket? I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I think there's probably some, some good literature that if you're interested in that, I think... Uh, you know, Airbnb's kind of dealt with that same issue in, in New York and other places, sort of the micro entrepreneur 
uh, someone who leverages the digital platform to uh, uh, go through that. I mean, look, I think that that's why we are, you know, advocating for the, the separate tax and regulatory scheme because, um, you know, at the end of the day, Turo, even if someone did start a micro business like that on Turo and owns 10 plus cars, say, uh, Turo still doesn't own the assets. Turo never purchased the assets. Turo doesn't maintain the assets. So no, you know, no car sharing company would really be responsible or involved in, you know, that person's decision making. And so I think, um, you know, there's that. The other argument would be that, um, you know, you got to put those cars somewhere. Uh, and so uh, car rental companies, you know, are actual, you know, accounted businesses, so they can write some of that stuff off as well. So it would be, um, there would be some additional costs of running a micro business on Turo that you would incur that a, a, a traditional rental car company won't incur, which might make the economics of, of running a micro business on Turo a, a little bit difficult. Um, but yeah, I think it's, I think it's possible. And if that's something that people want to do, um, you know, there should, there should be a system yeah. for that. Yeah. Um, there is a lot of comparison when it comes to um, Airbnb or travel tech and companies that let you um, rent your apartment. As I recently brought it up, I don't want to. I don't also own my apartment, so I legally can't. Um, but uh, some people do. And this is also very interesting because you kind of mentioned it without calling them out. But the car rental lobby obviously is opposing other people paying hypothetically or just in some ways less, even though they're also paying, don't pay income tax, uh, sales tax, as right. you say, right. sales tax. Right. Um, so um, same goes with hotel lobbies, right? Like very powerful lo lobbies who want Airbnb to be regulated as heavily as them, if not more, right. sometimes in ways that would completely paralyze that sub-industry. Um, do you mind talking a little bit about sharing economy in that aspect and um what is a Floridian regulation? If someone wants to come to, I don't know, Miami and um, get a little apartment on the shore. Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, you know, when it comes to the Airbnb issue, um, you know, the, the main issue uh, that we've heard in Florida is sort of the noise complaint thing. You know, you might have a, a nice, quiet neighborhood that has all these regulations and whatnot. But uh, if the Airbnb owner says, hey, it's okay to party here or whatever, uh, then that's uh, technically in violation of the local noise ordinances or whatever what's going on. So uh, it seems reasonable that Airbnb would be subject to uh, whatever local uh, ordinances are already in place uh, without any uh, need for any additional regulations on top of those specifically for Airbnbs. Um, and other companies. I think we keep using these because in some ways it's become like the Xerox. Uber, yeah. It's yeah, just, like it's you a, say I'm Ubering somewhere and right. you might not be using. Uber. These are the companies that might not have been the first to market, but the right. most impactful ones. And we live in the era, era, era yeah, good of clarifying economy. <laughs> but, you know, like like I say TaskRabbit, but it's not just TaskRabbit exactly, who exists exactly, in that space. Exactly. And we do understand that. I say that Turo, but there are other there You are said other Turo a lot. Yeah, there are other companies. <laughs> Turo's, Turo's the only one that I really know of at the moment. Uh, I'm, sure there, I'm sure there are plenty others that are starting up right now. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck to all of you. Good luck. I hope you don't pay the rental Spence car tax. Is, Spence is fighting the fight for you. <laughs> but no, and, and so uh, as it comes to the uh, car sharing issue, uh, and the Florida bill uh, has some of this language, uh, it essentially just requires them to carry uh, liability insurance, so ensure that um, 
if you're going to rent your car in Ontario, that the car is insured to a certain degree. And then uh, there's a bit of a backstop there. So if uh, the, the insurance on the car is expired or whatever, then Turo is, is held liable at the end of that. Uh, so, um, yeah, those are, I think some, some reasonable regulations to say, let's not, let's not create a regulation for a problem we don't have yet. But I think liability is a good way to say, Hey, if, as problems arise or if people get hurt, here's a, here's a reasonable way to deal with that. Our in-house insurance expert, Ian Adams, is on paternity leave, so I'm going to leave it up to him to comment on the insurance part. But that also, to me, uh, who's not an expert on this area, seems reasonable. Um, yeah, the insurance thing could be a whole podcast t- topic on its own. It's the it's, it's a wild world out there. But yeah. um, so thank you so much for that really helpful recap. We're going to definitely keep an eye on, all, on that bill and I'm sure many others are going to pop up because state legislators do love to work. That's that's one thing you always know. Um, before we let you go, you're actually, which is very surprising because Tech Freedom works with a Reason Foundation a lot, of a first guest from the Reason Foundation on the podcast. So for our listeners who don't know what the Reason Foundation is, what are you? And what's the difference with Reason, which I think some have read as an outlet journalistic media Magazine. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so so reason.com is is probably what most people are familiar with and that's a uh, monthly magazine publication um, with more journalists but Does also it still do print I believe they do yeah I think they I think we still do some print I'm not sure how much but they're probably gonna get mad at me I should know, <laughs> I should know how much we sell in print uh, <laughs> But you guys are separated. Correct. So that's so reason. So they shouldn't get mad at me. Uh, they can't get mad at me because I'm not a .com or I'm a .orger. Uh, so yeah, so .com is the magazine and then .org is the foundation, which is where I work, which is uh, uh, more of a traditional think tank with policy analysts and scholars. Are you a 501c3? Correct. We are a 501c3. And uh, yeah, we're pretty much exclusively focused on, well, I shouldn't say exclusive. We were mainly focused on state and local policy, but of course, federal policy comes into that, you know, here and there. So we'll deal with that as it comes. But uh, yeah, we're providing um, high quality policy analysis to state and local officials and uh, yeah, trying to be active in in a lot of different policy areas. Your title is policy analyst. Uh, What does that imply? What portfolios do you cover? (laughs) (laughs) Sure. So it, uh, it changes a lot and there's it's an exciting field to work in because there's always uh, you know there's always new stuff developing and new issues always coming to the forefront uh, right now pension reform is a big issue for a reason foundation something that we uh, have been working on a lot yeah yeah public public finance gets the crowd going uh, so we have that um, we also two years ago about two years ago now started a, uh, a new drug policy project which is aimed at uh, uh, post-legalization marijuana tax and regulatory issues. So yeah, the drug policy project has been uh, very exciting. And then uh, privatization has been a traditionally big issue for us and has stayed uh, stayed a big issue for us. And then uh, transportation as well is another issue that we're, uh, that we're big on. So, but I mean, that's- And that you cover. Personally. Yes. Yes. Those are all, those are all areas that I, that I personally work in at the tank. If our listeners are interested in finding out more about your work, where, 
Where can they find you? Sure. So listeners can find us at reason.com. That's the magazine. Reason.org is the foundation. That's where a lot of our work in the policy analysis is found. Uh, on Twitter, we're Reason Foundation. Uh, reason FDN, uh, short is the handle, Reason FDN. Uh, my Twitter is Spence Chell, S-P-E-N-C-E-K-J-E-L-L. And uh, yeah, I'm on the reason.org website. So come check us out. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming. And I'm sure uh, we'll have you back on when you visit DC again. Um, And to our listeners, subscribe to us on every major platform you listen to. Thank you so much. Have a good one. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, DC. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.